Hi, guys. Can you hear my voice got a little bit better? Not a lot, but a little bit better. <laughs> guys, um, thank you for coming this week. I hope the topics that you heard before today um, is able to help you or somebody else in your life. Again, this is your host, Kay Did. And please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. We post I say we, I want to say we post daily on Twitter to get information out there. We're doing job um, postings. And not particularly, we're not hiring at the moment, but we are giving the opportunity to people, different companies who are hiring within, which we think is like a good pay rate for New York City. Sometimes, you know, you know, a little bit below. We can't really do that about the rates. But we do try to get um, information out there to you guys. We do try to give out resources. We should have a resource packet at the in the description down below. So anything that I have talked about in the past couple of minute or so, you can find everything down below. So today we have a guest, Teresa is her name, and she's gonna tell a, tell you a little bit about herself and what she does for the homeless community. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks so much for having me. Um, my name is Teresa Young. And I am the uh, director at a shelter on the Lower East Side, uh, Helen's House, which is operated by Henry Street Settlements. Um, the shelter houses family, uh, single women with children under the age of eight and uh, in apartment style housing, we are a tier two. And we uh, try and assist people with Re their relocation back into the community. In addition to uh, being the director at the shelter, I am also the director of our aftercare services program at Henry Street. We provide grants to a small number of clients from our family shelters and domestic violence programs uh, to assist with payments of rent. So it's a rental subsidy. Um, that is open to residents of our shelter. Uh, rather, they are, um, no matter what their status may be, um, so it is open to both uh, citizens and foreign-born individuals. It is also open to people who may not have had um, meet some of DHS's eligibility requirements. Um, you just have to have future potential to pay rent and find an apartment that is that you will be able to carry on after our subsidy ends. Uh, we provide aftercare services, which are case management services around that program as well. And I do a whole lot of other things outside of the job um, that we may get into later on, but I am glad to be here and talking with you today. Yeah, so can you explain a little bit? I feel like I'm not the only person, but you said tier, I think you said tier two. Can you explain the different tiers and how they qualify into each category? Because I think a person who's not familiar with it, even myself, I've heard it, but I feel like I don't know, because I feel like the people don't break it down exactly what it is. Sure. What is it, um, yes. Well, I've been around for a long time, so I actually, you know, uh, what it means once upon a time before uh, probably 20 years ago, 
uh, when people entered the shelter system, they entered into a tier one shelter, which was an assessment center. Um, you had to be found eligible in order to be, in order to enter into a tier two. So you did, families did not immediately come into a family shelter. During the eligibility period, they stayed at an assessment center and once they were found eligible, then they entered the tier two or transitional housing. So um, during the Giuliani administration, they changed that system and had everyone coming directly to a tier two from PATH instead of going through this intermediate step before you were able to get into a family system. Um, so the name didn't change. It still is a tier two, but they kind of done it, did away with tier ones. Got it. But what I understand, um, even though we don't discuss as much here about, um, you know, single shelters like men or women, I believe mm -hmm. they, some of them still do that, if I'm not yeah. wrong. Yes. Yeah, they, they do. do yeah, in the single system, everyone goes to an assessment center before being assigned to a shelter. Um, so people can enter either through the single men system or single women's system. They have those giant shelters, um, Bellevue, uh, the, it, it, the Armory, um, they have set in both Brooklyn and the Bronx. Um, and after families, or rather, I'm sorry, singles go through assessment, then they're assigned to a uh, shelter and um, spend their time there until they have found permanent housing. And people are usually assigned to a shelter for a year. Um, so if you leave the shelter system and something happens and you have to re-enter, um, say someone who a single person goes to stay with a family member and it doesn't work out um, instead of returning to an assessment center, they can go right back to the shelter where they previously lived for 365 days because they're still assigned to that facility for that amount of time. And if wow. they don't have a bed or space, then um, they can still re-enter and they will give them an emergency bed until a bed becomes available at their assigned shelter. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. That's interesting. You learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> There's, you know, the shelter system is so intricate and complicated. And if you're around long enough, you find that all these, tidbits that are, you know, just so New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. That's what that sounds like anyway. Um, I, you said a program before that you have that gives, I want to call it a voucher in a way that will pay the rent. How mm -hmm. long, maybe I missed it. How long is that done? And it's pretty cool that you give, it seems like what I understood, it will be citizens and non-citizens or undocumented, yes. as people might understand it, um, that qualify for that, which is pretty neat because most a lot of programs don't actually qualify them in a lot of things. So that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, um, that's why it's so valuable because we are able to assist people despite what their status may be. Um, and we provide a rental subsidy um, for between 12 to 24 months, depending upon the person's circumstance. Usually it's, uh, we people are pay 30% of their income. Um, and if we extend the program after the first year, then I usually have people pay a slightly higher fee so that they can get used to paying rents um, and see what that's going to look like for their families instead of abruptly one day you have a voucher and then in the next day that you don't. Um, so it's a maximum of two years. So during that time, in addition to any social services needs that you may have, we also connect people to our workforce uh, development centers so that people are able to make sure that they're employed and saving and learning about credit, um, as well as doing some skills development so that if you're not earning enough to pay your rents, then you are able to find, you know, uh, ways to increase your employment after you have um, gone through some of the available, you know, trainings or internship programs that we have available at the settlement. Do you guys pay like people for internship or because already in that program, you, they have to do it for free, like kind of work? Um, it depends on what program it is. Uh, our Workforce Development Center does have programs where people are paid a salary uh, in order to attend. Um, you know, they refer to, we refer both. It depends on what the person is interested in. Uh, some programs may be short-term um, things that everybody in the city can go to, you know, um, security kinds of things or or the CNA program, but they we also are doing some exciting work with um, uh, our, with programs that provide um, assistance learning about construction or refrigeration or programs that really are going to pay people a living wage so that they're yeah. able to pay for rent and not just um, earn uh, New York City's minimum wage, which doesn't really pay anyone to allow anyone to be able to pay for rent in today's economy. That's definitely true. Um, minimum wage needs to be, I know we came a long way. Back in my day, I sound so old. I think minimum wage was like $5.50 or $5 and change when I was like, when I first started working, I was like 14. Um, legally anyway. I used to work, you wow. know, stuff. <laughs> well, imagine when I started working, it was $3.35 an hour. <laughs> but so great, yeah, we've come a long way. Deeper. We have. We have. I just wish they would go as fast as the time is going because before Corona, people couldn't make it under $15. Mm -hmm. And now we're in Corona where everything is even skyrocketing in price. And we can't buy baby formula because we can't find it nowhere. And you have the audacity to still give us $50 an hour. It doesn't, the math is really not yeah. adding up, you know? Yeah. So I feel like I understand that, you know, you don't want to give people $40 an hour because it's still people have to, you know, businesses have to run. But it's like, could you make it a little more acceptable 
for people to be able to live in this state is well actually I can say the state because New York State is a very big from what we when we think of New York City we think of you know the five boroughs yeah. so when we think of New York City it's very expensive to live here the city would never cease, but it's also expensive just to be in the midst to of all exist. this yeah you know one of the things that um Henry Street, I feel like I'm a commercial for my agency at the moment, but um, <laughs> one of the things that we, that our, our executive director has done is that starting this fiscal year, the July, that began July 1, all in the minimum wage at our agency is $22 an hour. Oh. So everyone um, makes at least $22 an hour. Um, you know, he strongly believes that um, budgets are a moral document and you're asking people to work with uh, people who have low or moderate incomes and provide all these services to them then, and they may be eligible for your services as well because they're struggling. So uh, we were able through, you know, fundraising and, and, and changing some things around with the way in which they fund some employee benefits, change our minimum wage to $22 an hour. And I think it has made a big difference in impact on people's day-to-day -day life and what they're able to afford. Um, because, you know, frankly, sometimes we would have staff who didn't have a Metro card to get to work. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, I can remember, I can remember those days, not that long ago, you know, maybe seven, eight years ago, coming out of my pocket and advancing some of our security staff or resident assistants, a Metro card until they got paid when they first started working because they didn't have the money. Um, so I think that it makes a big difference. Um, and it's about time that salaries are commensurate with the work that we do in taking care of people in New York City. I like the topics are usually not about this in particular, but I think it's a good, um, a good thing for people to understand. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, people in a shelter, who, like the shelter workers, I should say, not even the people, the people who are working, the caseworkers, the housing specialists, they don't work that much money. Mm -hmm. Some of them, as you, if you listen to the prior podcast, this one young lady, she works in a shelter and she's in the shelter. She doesn't make like you have to think about this also. People, yes, they did the work, they did to get a paycheck, they did to help you, but a lot of them are stressed out just like you are in a way because they have to be working for basically nothing and they do a lot of work. It's a lot of work to have 20, 30, 40 people. You have to make sure the housing is together, make sure the inspections is done for the department for you know FEPS, I mean city FEPS to even say yes or no or yay or nay about it. It's very stressful. And um a lot of these companies don't want to hire a, the amount of staff it would need to cover. And that was before Corona. Now in Corona, because they have so much requirements to get in some of these positions, um, is already understaffed. So a lot of yeah. people don't want to work because they saw and then they saw that in Corona that, oh, you guys, they could go to a better company, would pay them more. 
and they'll do less work for a, a better money. They don't want to work for certain things. And people have the audacity to act like when you want to come for this job, mind you, they need the staff, but you need five years of experience. You need this and that, this and that, but yet you're not paying me properly. And you want all these um, years of history of work. It doesn't, something needs to um, get a little bit better. I don't know what it is, but. I think, you know, it, I think it's a struggle. Well, it's a, it's a struggle throughout the system because in addition to, you know, you need the staff so that people can have someone to um, respond to their needs because you can't, when you don't have staff, it just stresses out the people who are there even more and more things just fall through the cracks. So the churn through the shelter system, because as you said, it is not only a lot of work, but it, it's demanding. And when you're dealing with people, it's always going to be stressful. Um, and, you know, because you have your, you have someone's life, you, you know, and rather it's someone being having a home to go to and call their own because you didn't fill out a piece of paper or, or upload a document or do something correctly. That's a lot, you know, that's a lot of stress. <laughs> um, or it may just be that, um, you know, someone is experiencing uh, trauma and you're wondering why they're upset or angry and you have people who the staff that are going through their own experiences themselves. So it's, yes, it's, it, it, it is really difficult. And working in social services, unlike working in corporate America or, or retail or any other industries is the stakes are so much higher because um, mm -hmm. you're talking about people's basic needs, right? You go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You have to, people need food, shelter, food, shelter, and then you can get to all of the other things. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that looking at what agencies are asking, what the system is asking for is also really important. Um, you may not, there, you may not need a degree plus five years of experience for um for a for some of these positions. Maybe you need two years of experience, um, and you can you can use some of that experience to substitute for a degree, or yeah. you may be able to um, come up with some tests to make sure that people can do the basics of, of being able to operate a computer or uh, use whatever technology or supports that are needed or, or um, that people's writing skills are, or presentation skills are at um, a certain level where they don't need a degree. Some of those things can be substituted because very often degrees or, or other certifications are used as a means of weeding people out and not calling people in. And we have to ask ourselves, is a degree needed or is, is this what's needed or is this what we want? Um, because it's also a matter of 
diversity and equity and inclusion. And if people have not been given the opportunity to pursue degrees because they didn't have the money or they didn't have the educational supports when they were in high school that put them in position to be able to go on and earn a college degree, um, which, you know, you're already putting them at a disadvantage to ever be able to climb out of that, um, you know, out of the gate in order to be able to move to the next step in their lives and be economically self-sufficient. Um, so what's needed and what's wanted is, you know, a, a, can be a really big difference. Um, I've had staff who um, may not have a degree, but they surely know how to talk to somebody and navigate the system because they've been advocating for themselves all their lives. Um, they've had to learn how to go out and hustle, uh, how to figure out what systems are available to us in New York City and how to, um, you know, motivate people and, and, and move people forward. Um, I had a staff a former staff person who said that if you can be on public assistance and figure out HRA, then there should be a degree just for that. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it's so true. So true. Yeah. It's so funny. Two things that you said to, just a while ago is something I've said other than the past two days or today. Um, the first thing about the wants and the needs kind of thing, I talk about that in two different things that I did. I did this, this thing called Siren. It's like a conference. Um, they do it once a year. I did that yesterday. And I talked about, and I also did a Capitol Hill Day. I said that in there also. But this morning in one of my calls, I was talking about, Dag, I forgot, Dag, what? You was talking, talking about, I want to say money. Oh, mm -hmm. Yes about how certain things, example, a college degree is good to have it. Cause I feel like we can't, certain certain areas in life, you're gonna need a degree in. You need to have knowledge about it. Um, I know in certain countries, they don't do like regular school for like doctors, but they do like on the job training as you go mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's like not, not that much of like classwork compared to like America or even, I wanna say England, I'm not sure about their system. But a person, I'm not gonna say we don't need people who are in the field who has degrees. Because I have a degree. Oh, you most definitely, you most definitely do. You but most definitely do need certain it. things you cannot be taught in the school. Going mm -hmm. through it, you don't get taught to go go to a place. You stand up. Now they get more electronically, but back in the day, you you get there, fill out this big packet that they give you. Then they make you sit there for hours. That's time management. That's like time management, mm -hmm. patience. Then the person you get might or might not have an attitude. I usually get pretty good people, thank God, but I've seen workers act nasty to people who are coming to see them. And the person has not acted nasty to them yet. After the five minutes of the nastiness, the person kind of get, you know, kind of crazy. But usually they don't come up to them that way, right? And I can understand the work up in there all day, probably seen other people with disgusting attitude, but this person is new in front of you. You shouldn't give them the same energy that somebody else like, had gave you that you didn't like. But, um, you have to go through all these things, bring birth certificate, bring this, bring that. And you have to bring stuff from your landlord. You got to bring stuff for your job. Um, you have to make sure this thing is up to date. If our ID is, you know, not up to date is a problem. They make you do go, I mean, so much hoops. 
you got to think about if I'm working today, can I tell my boss I'm going to the HRA office? I have to get a letter from, my, from the HRA saying I was there to make sure that my boss know I was really there and not skipping work. It's, it takes a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, think about yeah. it. When you are sending someone, someone presents to you and they're telling you that I'm in risk of losing my housing or I've already lost my housing and I'm residing in a shelter and you have all this paperwork that is required. Now, to HRA's defense, a lot of this is both state and federal laws that they have to collect certain documentation to assess what you are and are not eligible for. So I don't, I don't want to suggest that it's not necessary in order for them to at make document requests because it most definitely is. However, if you have someone who's just lost their housing, they may not have access to all of those documents. It may have, you know, it may have been lost or destroyed in a move from one shelter to the next or in their move into shelter. It may be at a, they may have left their belongings at a friend or family member's house and it's not easily accessible. It may be in a storage unit and they haven't had the money to pay the storage bill so they can't get to it. And when you have to recreate your life right. um, and it's not only time consuming, but it's also costly and you're there because you don't have any money, right? right. So birth certificates cost how much money? About 35. <laughs> and if you need one for yourself and a couple of kids, right? that's your whole HRA check for, that's your whole check. Right, <laughs> it definitely is. They don't give you so, you know, sometimes you have to think about why you are not get, you know, someone is not able to meet your request and not just assume that they're trying to be difficult. Definitely um, the other thing that, you know, I just wanted to piggyback to say that I don't want to suggest to anyone that having an education is not important. Um, it's not only important for the job market, but it's, I also think that it's important for you as an individual, because the biggest thing that education does is provide the ability for your world to expand. You learn not just about, about the world around you, and it gives you the opportunity to learn about yourself. You know, I am a social worker by training and I've went back to school last year and I'm working on, um, and I'm in an executive um, MPA, uh, master's in public administration program, because I'm really interested in policy and wanted to return to school so that I can broaden my knowledge. So it most definitely is important, but it also is not for everyone. College, I should say, is not for everyone. I think somebody, everybody should have like a skill or a trade or something that they need. Exactly. To be able to push themselves you up. Know. Granted, college is yeah. not for everyone. I did go to college. I can say, mm -hmm. <laughs> am I using that degree? Depending on who you ask. Um, but I feel like it was a learning experience. I made some good. I met some good people. Did I say I learned a lot? I went for theater arts, so you can take that as you wish. But I feel like if you're going in for a certain degree and you know that's going to help you in life, or just to even learn about certain things. You'd be surprised how much classes you could do. You'd be surprised. I took a puppet mm -hmm. class in, in school, and granted- Oh, it, wow. Yes. So you would think like, you know, 
But who would think I would be in a puppet, like learn about puppets, making puppets, nobody or even making masks and stuff like that. Nobody would ever think about that. You know, I would never think about, let me go to a puppet class. But I did have that experience. I mean, I'm in debt for it, but it was a experience <laughs> nevertheless. I went, I went on, I went out the country with my school. I wasn't a step team. I was in the gospel choir. I did a lot of experiences. I'm not going to say, yeah. you know, it's the worst so thing. It brought, so it gave you the opportunity to broaden your horizons and see yeah. what other things there were in the world. And even if you are not working in the industry and, in, you know, which you got your degree in, I always say to people that you still learn transferable skills from everything that you do. You know, it gave you working in theater, gave you the the confidence and ability to uh, sharpen your presentation skills and to put on a podcast today. That's true. Definitely true. You'd be surprised how much of these degrees, if you really look at it, really intersects with certain things. You know, you go into a certain major. A lot of other classes prepare you for different things in the world, to be honest. Um, you'd be very, very surprised. But we're not talking about education now, guys. Sorry about <laughs> topic. But um, it's nice to get a little sidebar here and there to get to know your hosts and the guests that's coming on the show. But um, what program you could say that Henry Street has that, well, you said it's a part of Henry Street. It's not exactly Henry Street itself, right? No, we are um, Henry Street. We are a settlement house. So the, in addition to um, operating shelters, we have programs that focus on education, both daycare, um, college, uh, after school programs, youth development programs. We have programs for seniors, uh, naturally occurring retirement community, a center for older adults, um, a home planning, Meals on Wheels, we have workforce programs. Um, and one of the really cool things is that we have arts programs and both the uh, community and staff can take arts classes, both acting, theater, uh, dance classes. Um, so it's a little bit of everything because not only, you know, do you need to treat the whole person. People need uh, after your basic needs are met, then it's like, who do you want to be? What do you want to do? Um, and the arts are very much central into each of us figuring that out. Um, as a, I, over the years, I've taken a couple of really cool classes at our art center um, from doing like, you know, yoga to Zumba to fabric art uh photography um you know there's a hip-hop dance class they've had djing uh so it's a it's a little of everything um which is a really cool to have and the families that are in our um shelters and transitional housing programs are able to take classes for free um and you know, staff, we get a one free class and then everything else after that, it's uh, discounted. So um, it's a nice little perk. Nice. So which program do you think is the most successful in your eyes that they offer? Oh, wow. I'm, 
you know, it's like, how are you measuring success? That's, that's hard to say, because of course, I want to say mine, right? Because I'm so awesome. <laughs> but, you know, how do you measure um, a daycare center that's taking care of and treating our babies against a program that's finding people housing that and another that is going to help uh, young people get into school or help them find jobs. I think they're all necessary, um, yeah. e you know, and, and have different metrics that they're measured against. So I just will say that we pride ourselves on running quality programs um, and trying to get input from the residents um, in the neighborhood in which we are located, as well as consumers um, from our transitional housing programs so that uh, we are responding to the needs um, that have that people have um, said are important to them. Um, and there's a little bit of everything. Um, my ED, uh, he says that we service the whole human from birth to death uh That's kind and of morbid. It, yeah you know it well it's it's the whole it's true. the whole human um we, when you have programs for babies to programs for seniors right. um at one point we had seniors who were in our uh at our senior center who were octogenarians and and um quote moving on to 100 years old and you're oh, servicing wow. newborns so it's a little bit of everything, you know? Right. Um, why, I don't know if you would know this, but why do they step up to age eight for the children? Is that um, a certain thing or like a guideline that certain vouchers only work for that age group and below? Is there? Yeah, no, um, well, the concept of Helen's house when it was built, it's largely because of our setup. Um, our apartments are studios and uh, so the got you know occupancy guidelines or or um, section eight guidelines were typically that it was okay for a a parent to share a sleeping space with a child that was under a certain age um, if they were of the opposite sex. Um, so we always, you know, uh, stopped at a certain age because a teenage boy isn't trying, doesn't, it's uncomfortable for him to share a room with his mama. Um, or um, I think also the original concept of our shelter was for it to be for young mothers. Um, so we tend to have young mothers who are in their um, early 20s who have either one or two children um, because it is a studio. So we focus a lot on um, helping uh, our clients throughout the parenting journey, learning what it, you know, some of those skills that you need when you are 
when you first have a baby and you're trying to figure it out, um, rather it's what services are available to you, uh, doing parent-child discovery um, to so that you understand the stages of development. Um, my child care staff uh, does one-on-one -on -one with parents so that um, they are helping them with stuff like potty training and helping your kids learn how to walk. Sometimes people may not want to um, put their child on the floor because they didn't mop the floor that day. And you learn in stages of development that your baby is never gonna walk because you don't sit them on the floor so that they learn how to crawl and then how, how to raise themselves up so that they could take those steps and start toddling. Or uh, you, potty training may be really frustrating for um, a young mom who doesn't have her mother or grandmother or auntie or someone around and really understand what's going on. So um, our programming tends to be very uh, toddler and child centric um, because of the population that we serve. Honestly, I feel like we should have it in all hospitals versus a private or a city hospital mm -hmm. that I'm not saying they should need all about potty training when a person, the kid is a, the baby's a newborn, but I feel like certain things should be told to a first time parent, mm -hmm. no matter exactly. if they're rich or whatever, that should be done in the hospital. It shouldn't be coming home and the, the parent, first of all, when you're, when you, I don't know if you have any kids, but I have a daughter and I'm also a foster mom, but you, your, your body goes through a lot, a lot of hormones, a lot of this and that people get postpartum depression. They wonder why, mothers are doing this to their kids. They, they don't want to do it, but it's like, they can't even help themselves. It's like, they need so much resources. Mm -hmm. All they do is literally cut them open if it's three, and they stay in the hospital for a couple of days, three days or more, depending on complications, or you push them out. So you get them two days in the hospital and bye. They mm -hmm. put, make sure, they, all they make sure is you have a, heart, a car seat and bye. Hopefully you'd stay alive with the children. If you're you a first time know. mom and you don't have, especially yeah. if you don't have siblings, you are, and you don't have nobody to back you up, you're done for. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. say the child's not gonna come out, you know, fine, but it's why I make the person struggle that much and the information is literally out there for free. They have nursing, like nurses will come to your house and help you wash clothes, help you take care of the baby, but people don't know that they have these things. Mm -hmm. so they're just lost in the world, like just, just free, just lost. No phone call, no, how are you doing? Is the baby still alive? <laughs> like, I don't get it. I just, yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, you know, people seem to just think that because our body can do something biologically that we know what it is, right? right? That educating yourself about, you know, parenthood isn't necessary. You know, that only is it uh, physically taxing, but all of the emotions, right. um, you know, so often people are going through, um, going through a whole lot because you have the physical, the psychological, all of that is happening and these hormones are coursing through your body as you give birth or even the fact that you are in shelter and you have a young child um, is traumatic enough right? because you, you don't have someone there to just say, 
you know, what's wrong with this baby? What's going on? <laughs> um, and we don't grow up knowing that. It's not, it's not instinctual. Uh, you don't just know stuff. You have to seek that information out. Learn it, um, right. You know, you don't, you know, there's not some, there's not some magic that suddenly enters your brain that says, oh, uh, my baby is colicky and this is what you need to do for a colicky baby. Um, so someone teaches you that, right? And it used to be the family and everybody doesn't have that available to them. Exactly. And if you are not um, living with your, with your family, who knows what circumstances are that brought you into shelter? It could very well have been intimate partner violence. It could have been family discord, um, discord where you don't, where someone doesn't have that relationship with another family member, and people then are going to the childcare team at the shelter or to their caseworker, who may or may not be a good source of information. Hello, guys. Thank you for making it this far into the podcast. I hope that this information was, I want to say entertaining, but um, just give your insight on people who work with people who are in shelter. Um, I try to bring stories on here, what's both-sided, because there's always, um, you know, different sides to a story. Is your side, their side, and then the truth, as they say. And um, both sides can see they can see what's going on on their side and sometimes it's hard to see it on the other person's side depending on where you are and what kind of person you are so i like to bring all sides on here but you know this platform is really for bringing resources and people to hear the stories of the people with lived experience because sometimes people don't see us for who we are and we are a lot of times just not talked about we're pushed to the side we're pushing shelters and because you don't see majority of the time us on the street you forget that we as families can be homeless um i'm happy to say that i've been have been out of shelter since 2018 and um since probably a year or two after i came out that's when i became part of this advocating journey and i'm excited um Thanks to the Family Homeless Coalition for that. So I just want to say again, follow us on Twitter, follow us on YouTube, and come back for next week for part two. Hope you enjoy. And if you want to share this podcast out to other people, you can. Thank you so much again. And thank you for being you. Thank you for watching, no matter what platform you're coming on. And also, we have a panel coming up. So that's also coming out soon, guys. We will hear more updates in the coming weeks. Bye.